0: I want to give a shout out, Samuel, it's good to see you here. Samuel, yes, back from college down south and home for a few weeks, I'm assuming. Is that right? Good, good. I'm glad you're with us. I uh, hope to be able to connect with you a little bit while you're here and hear how things are going for you down in San Diego State. So it's good to have you home again, man. Right on. Also, uh, you probably saw a real quick flash that came up on the screen. I just want to address a special gathering that's on your placemat, <laughs> that's, on, that's on your flyer that you received, and you can, you can check it out online as well. But there's a special gathering that I host um, every year called The Empty Chair. The Empty Chair gathering is a special time where we acknowledge um, in some of your life and uh, many of our lives, this year around the table, um, the holiday table, will be an empty chair because somebody that we love has passed away, because somebody that we love and dearly miss um, will not be able to fill the seat that they typically fill. And as a church, we want to acknowledge that. We don't want to ignore it or pretend it isn't there, but we want to look straight into that and help you. And so this special one-hour gathering, I believe it's on December 16th, it's at 6 p.m., right here in this, this auditorium, I promise you will be a very special and very honoring gathering as we honor the loved ones, maybe this year or maybe many years ago, that's, that aren't filling the chair and, and this year, I want to do something even more special. This year, if you will register, and it doesn't start until early in December, but we'll let you know when, but if you'll register, you just have to go to the website and register. It's free. Um, tell us the name of the loved one that you would like to honor, and we're going to line the auditorium with poinsettias and with, in, in honor of that person. And uh, then at the end of the gathering, we're going to ask you to come and take that home and maybe put that poinsettia under your Christmas tree in honor of the loved one that will be not filling the chair this year. Aren't you thankful, though, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the hope and glory that we know that heaven is our home, that we will not be divided forever, but we'll see, we'll see our our loved ones again. Somebody say amen. Amen. Praise God. Also, I've been instructed to, to remind you of uh, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow. We will not, on the 29th of November, we will not be having our story groups as they typically are, but it's not canceled that night. Instead we're having the first, uh, first vision meeting that we've ever had. And I'd like you to come to this, this vision night at six o'clock, we're inviting all of our campuses, everybody together and it's the same time as your group would be. Childcare is provided for it. If you wanna come a little early, eat your dinner, you can do that, or bring it and sit around the tables and eat while we do it. We we get it, because you're busy, but we'd like you to be there. Because last week, I used this board, and I scribbled all over it, and I told you the vision, and you bought into the vision, and you, you committed your resources, and you're committing your time, and you're a part of this church family, but I bet I said some things that since then you've thought about it, and you're like, but what? Uh, How's that going to work? And so what we want to do is we want to bring some clarity, some clarification uh, to some of this so that you get a few more details. So a week from tomorrow, please be here at 6 o'clock. It's a good prelude uh, to our State of the Church address that will take place in January. We want to let you know... Everything that we do is transparent. We, we would rather tell you too much than not enough. And so we want to make sure we're very, very clear. All our cards are out and chips are on the table. We want to make sure that you understand what's happening at your church. So that's a very important night. I hope that you'll join me uh, right here at six o'clock that evening as we talk about our vision and how we're moving forward because things are moving very, very, very quickly behind the scenes and you need to be aware of what's going on. Well, there's some significant things that are happening, and we want you to know about those things as we're moving forward as a church, because we will indeed do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. If that means breaking the mold of how we do church, we're gonna break the mold of how we do church, and we're just not gonna get so married to to earthly things. Somebody say amen. All right, I've been teaching you uh, for uh, quite a while now, for uh, many, many weeks. about four months now, we've been going through this book called The Story. We're a little over halfway through the book now. Um, It's basically, it's the Bible written in chronological format. Now, the Bible that you read typically is not in chronological format. And so we've been going through the major themes of the Bible, reading this in novel form together. If you don't have a copy of the story, there are extra copies back there. You may take one. You could even get up now and get one because I'm going to refer to page numbers and stuff. Underline, highlight, whatever you want to do, it's yours. We would like you to read it, though, a chapter a week. However, you got the email from Pastor Trin this week that said we're doubling down. Uh, in other words, we want you to read two chapters this week instead of just one. I'm proud of you for reading two chapters, those of you that did, those of you that didn't, well, um, you, you need to do it, and so we'll wait right now while you read those, two. I'm just kidding. We'd like you to read those two chapters, make sure you stay up. Let me tell you, this is, this is the part, can I just be really frank with you? This is the part that gets rather boring. Everybody say yes, because whether you admit it or not, it gets a little boring, baby, right? And and my job is to bring some inspiration into this so that you'll be like, wow, I get it. That makes sense. It's exciting. But I got to be honest with you. I get a little bit bored, too, reading this. And we're going to address that, that very thing at the end of, I think that's okay. We're going to address that at the end of the the message today. So hold on very tight. Next. Sunday you are privileged to have Pastor Tasha our River, River Islands campus pastor who they just did their last gathering of the year at River Islands and those folks uh, have, have been given several options one of the options is to join you here at this campus so next week make people feel feel welcome as they come in come sit by me and so forth we want to make sure we're always that way but they're going to be joining us here and we're excited to be able to come together but she'll be sharing the message next week on chapter 17 you just read one chapter for next week so so, if nothing else, it should be easy or feel easier for you. So you can do this while you're being a glutton this week. Go ahead and enjoy reading the chapter 17. I mean, it's okay one day a, week, a year to to, be, to do that. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you permission to eat as much as you want to, and may it not affect you in any way physically negatively. Uh, I don't, I can't promise that, but I want you to be to know that your pastor's pulling for you because I'm in I'm in this with you. You know, what I'm saying, and I hope not to ruin your 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 meal today. But I'm gonna do my do my best. Here we go. What we've learned over the last few weeks is is. Sin came into the world, we learned in Genesis, and and God uh, removed from us the privilege of of being able to go back into paradise, into the garden again, and God began his redemptive plan. Redemptive means he wants to bring us back into right relationship with him. And so God chose his plan. Our job is not to decide if his plan was okay or not. It's God's plan. Somebody say yes, right? And so in that plan, his plan was, I'm going to form a nation. And out of that nation, I'm going to draw people, draw my people back to me, and so the nation name is Israel. Well, Israel demanded that there would be, and they needed leadership. And so God gave them all kinds of leaders and so forth. And so, but now we're at the place, I want to kind of show you something here on the board. Um, I don't know really what Israel looks like, so I'm going to say it looks like this, okay? Um, uh, And, and, um, I, I mean, at that time. And what happened was, was the nation of Israel was divided into two parts. There was the the northern part, and there was the southern part down here. Okay, so northern and southern kingdom is what that doesn't look, and now it's going to bother those of us that want everything to be equal, so we're going to do like this. There, that looks better. So the northern part, um, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel had been divided. It wasn't God's plan, but wickedness had prevailed in the nation of israel now you're like what does that what does that matter to me i'm drive a truck i've got twins i don't want to ignore them southern i don't care well it might affect you a little bit if you'll stay dialed in for a little and i'm like, i'm just being real with you right you read some of this sometimes and go i don't really need a history lesson of what's happened before but there's a story in it for you and so And so the the nation of Israel been divided into two parts. Um, the, the northern part was called "Get this," Israel," <laughs> and the southern part was called Judah. So we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel divided, and they both have done wicked things in the eyes of God during this two hundred and eight year period, which is what we 've been reading about this week last week. 208 years have gone by in the course of 14 days that we've been reading. And in that 208 years of of, of time, there have been a total, make sure you get my numbers right, there have been a total of 38 different kings. Of those, 33 were bad and only five were good. 33 of them did not serve God. In fact, were were, um, evil in the eyes of God, but only five of those leaders of the nation did things right. And so kings weren't working out too well for the nation of Israel. They had all kinds of pride and rebellion and, and, and idolatry in both the northern, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel, which is a little confusing because now the northern kingdom is called Israel and the southern kingdom is called, called Judah. And so God says, okay, it didn't work out. The kings aren't leading them in the right way. So God will never give up on his children. He'll never give up on you. So God says, I'm going to send nine children. Different people. Those nine people are called prophets. And he sends these prophets to the kings and to the the land of Israel, both northern and southern, to try to warn them and to tell them, listen, you're not doing what God says to do. You're not walking in God's ways. And if you keep going down this path, destruction is going to come your way. God is warning. Sometimes that's the role that I have in your life. That's sometimes that's the role that other Christian leaders have in your life is to warn you, stop going down the path you're going down. Not because you're hated, not because you're cursed, but because you're loved by a God who loves you too much to not say anything at all. He wants to make sure you know that the path you're going down is not leading you to health. Nine times God sends these prophets, these foretellers, to the people but they ignore the prophets and they continue to do things their own way. And so we read in the story, if you'll turn to page 220, we read in the story, and I'm going to ask Pastor Kyler, if you'll do me a favor, on my desk, grab me a pair of glasses. I think I can squint through this first part, but uh, 2 Kings chapter 17 is what it is, but it's on page 220 right at the top. The Lord warned Israel and Judah, uh, remember, the northern and the southern. He warned the nations, God, the Lord warned them, uh, all his prophets uh, and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that i commanded your ancestors to obey and that i delivered you uh through my servants the prophets thank you but they would not that is so much better but they would not listen and were as get this stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the lord their god So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. What did we just read? Because they would not obey, because they would not serve God, they wouldn't listen to the prophets that God sent to them. They only had five good kings. The rest of them did things their own way. God says, I'm gonna go ahead and let you be wiped out. And so the northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out. By the Assyrian army, the bad guys, the evil, the evil army. God allowed them to go into what's called exile. You might remember that term from before. In essence, it's introduction to slavery again. Now they're held in bondage. Did they not just, it seems like, get out of hundreds of years of bondage when they were with the in, in Egypt? And now they're doing the same thing over again. You see, God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet. He warned them again and again. And even though God has compassion on his people, this time he's no longer going to be constrained because there comes a point, and nobody wants to hear this, But there comes a point when God's justice has had enough. And we read that the northern kingdom, Israel, has been destroyed. And here's what happened. The Syrian army, it's kind of an interesting history lesson, the Syrian army has been flexing its muscles, conquering other nations all around. And and their number, their soldiers now number about 100, oh, this is a huge number, 185,000 soldiers is what they have. And so those 185,000 soldiers come on the scene and God says I am not going to protect you as I had in the past. And so those 185,000 soldiers come on the scene and the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, the northern part of the entire nation of Israel as it's been divided, but the nation of Israel is now destroyed. And they attack the capital city of the northern kingdom, which is Samaria. And the Israelites are spread all throughout the land. They don't have a homeland anymore. They're spread all throughout Assyria. It's kind of a big deal, guys. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the southern kingdom is watching what's happening in the northern kingdom. When you have a big brother who gets whooped by somebody, you probably will learn something from that whooping, wouldn't you? Well, I'm not gonna talk to that person the way that my brother did because I'm gonna get whooped too, right? That's kind of the the lesson that's kind of going on here. Judah, the southern kingdom, is watching what's transpired up north. And so if you're living in the southern kingdom and you're watching the northern kingdom, you're like, "Mm, I get the message. Looks like we're next looks like we're going down next. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a message that, 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 that speaks very clearly to you. And so a prophet by the name, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, who you read about this week, a young man, prophet by the name of Isaiah, comes on the scene and he says to the southern kingdom, God will not ignore your sins. God will not ignore your sins. And so he warns the people in the southern kingdom by using the northern kingdom as an example. Here's what I think in my life. We read about God's warnings. God warns us in a number of different ways, doesn't he? Sometimes you're like, dude, I just wanted to come to church. I, I just wanted a donut, and I just wanted to hang out. And I really kind of just, if I'm going to be real, just kind of wanted to punch my time card for God and go home and watch the football game. So I just wanted to do that. But now I come to church, and you start meddling in in my life because God gives us a warning through his word. You ever been warned by God through his word before about some of your steps that you're taking? And, and some of you, this might be that time in your life. You weren't expecting it. Surprise, you're here and I'm really glad you're here. Don't turn off your phone or whatever you're watching, the device you're watching on now because God has, God has something for you. Even through this rather difficult, somewhat mundane and rather repetitive and boring portion of the Bible, God has something powerful for us because the truth for many people is the path that you were on right now is a path that's going to lead you to destruction. And you know that. You just need somebody to call you out on that. Not in a harsh way, but in a loving way. It's not going to end well for you. And God loves you too much to just let it go. Because here's what I do know, the grace of God can spare you from a whole lot of grief in your life if you'll just latch on to Jesus. That's number one, he'll give you a word. But the other way that God kind of reveals and gets our attention and warns us is through the example of other people. You ever had like a colleague or a family member or somebody that you respected, and you're like, "They what? What happened? What did they do? And you're like, uh, you're learning very quickly from what they did or what they didn't do and how that brought destruction into this part of their life and to their, maybe their family. And you're like, I'm gonna learn from that because I don't want to end the same way. Some of you watched your parents kind of go down a path that was, was not God's way, and, and you decided, I respect my parents, I, maybe I even love my parents, but I'm not gonna parent like my parents parented me. And, 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 and you, because you're not gonna go down the same path. You want to do things God's way. And so the Southern Kingdom sees what the northern kingdom has done and what happened to them, and uh, they, they didn't want that. And So here, here's what happens. The Assyrian army, 185,000 of them, oh, it's the big, here's the big part. They now turn their attention to the southern kingdom. And you knew this was going to happen, and it's a little scary. The Assyrian army wants to kick butt, kick Judah's butt, wants to take their land, dominate their people, enslave their children, and it would appear that the southern kingdom is going to fall in the same way that the northern kingdom did. Dun, dun, dun. But then something happens, and I'm going to call it the X Factor. And the X Factor is a guy by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is the first king since King David. That's been a long time ago. It's like his great, great, great grandfather since King David, who followed God with all of his heart, who served God and was committed to God, who, and because he served God, King Hezekiah, I've got to put the H there, baby, King Hezekiah, because King Hezekiah served God and loved God and lived for God and obeyed God, it brought God's blessing upon his life. Is there anybody here that would raise their hand that says, I do not desire God's blessing in my life? Surely not. Because everybody wants God's blessing in your life. God to bless you physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, socially. He, um, he wants to bless you and you want to be blessed. How can we make that? This is what we're going to learn today from God's word. And so, and so um, Hezekiah speaks to his people in the southern kingdom. It's looking like doom all around us and he speaks to his people, and as he speaks to his people, it's reminiscent of somebody else who spoke to his people that we already learned about going through the story together, and that's a dude by the name of Joshua. Remember Joshua? Leading the people into the promised land, and we're gonna conquer, and we're gonna do that, and everybody's like, let's go together. Here's what Hezekiah says in 2 Chronicles 32, verses seven and eight. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, 185,000. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only, look at this, the arm of the, of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. I love this. They're just an arm of flesh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Might be 185,000 of them. We might be outnumbered. They've got all this, the military equipment and garb on them, but it's just the arm of flesh. We have got God on our side. God is with us. And the New Testament says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Somebody say amen. But the Assyrians the the evil army, the Assyrians coming in to try to take the southern kingdom, they wanna do it peacefully, which is exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. See, when he comes in, kicking down the front door, you're like, oh, heck no, grab me a... A pan, baby. I'm gonna. I'm gonna grab me a candle. Or I'm going Let's fight. Somebody comes and light it. But when somebody slithers in, peacefully tries to befriend you, tries to convince you that it's okay. I got a better plan for you. Just kind of gotta listen. Listen to how this unfolds, and tell me this doesn't connect with you. The evil king of the Assyrians is. Uh, his name is King Senacherib. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's what we're going to say as New Lifers. Let's all say it together. Send a cherub. Two of you said it. Nobody else did. I appreciate that. You're all with me. Yes. He sends, he sends messengers to the southern kingdom. And normally what happens is you send a messenger who goes to the king of the country that you're going to take out. And you say to the king, we're going to take you out. But, so surrender now. But he doesn't do that. He sends messengers to the people in the capital city of the southern kingdom, the capital city is Jerusalem. He sends messengers to talk to those people in their native language, because they speak different languages, like people do in different countries. The, the language, he speaks to them in the language of Hebrew. He doesn't go to the leadership, but he goes to the people and he threatens the people. And so turn to page 221 in your book, and boy, we're gonna read about this. Check it out at the bottom of the page. This is Second Kings chapter 18. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life, not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his, his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Dun, dun, dun. What did he just say? This messenger is communicating on behalf of King Sennacherib, the evil king of the Assyrians, and he is saying, I'm calling God out. He's saying that no one could ever stop him before. What makes you think that your God can stop me now? You see what he's doing? He's telling people a lie about what God can do and what God cannot do, and that's exactly what Satan will do with you today. Try to tell you a lie about what God is capable of and what God is incapable of. And here's what I know for many of us in this room and watching at home today there is an army camped outside your door seems like 185,000 of them and odds seem impossible it seems too difficult for you and it even seems too difficult for god too messy for god to clean up too broken for god to put back together again and too bad for god to redeem for his good see the enemy is saying not even god can get you out of this one. Not even God can save your marriage. Not even God can rescue you from that. Not even God can put those pieces back together again. And so often, we believe the lies of the enemy and we, en- we-, we enlist in fear instead of living in faith like we should. And so we see the 185,000 soldiers, and we say, I can't do this. It can't be done. But I want you to look at what King Hezekiah says, the X factor, King Hezekiah says, as we take a look on, at 2 Kings chapter 19, verse number 14, bottom of page 222 and, uh, 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 let's see, uh, 2 Kings 19, 14, page 222 and 223. Here we go, the bottom. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers, the letter that came from the evil king, Sennacherib, he received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And, 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 and he prays. They get on their knees, Hezekiah and this prophet by the name of Isaiah have a prayer meeting. And they get on their knees before God. Hey, we need some help. I think the best prayer a person can ever pray is a one-word prayer, help. And I thought, God hears that prayer every time. Just be honest with God. And they cry out to heaven in desperation for God to help them. And if there is an army right outside your door, that's exactly what you should be doing. Then. It happens. I can't wait to read this part to you. If you would, turn one page over, 224. Here we go. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 of the Assyrian, in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, uh, uh, there were all the dead bodies. <laughs> so Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, ran like a chicken man. He returned to Nineveh, and he stayed there. And I just want to tell you, the end. That's the end. That's what our God does. That's, that's the end. There is no fight. There is no battle. There is no war. God sends an angel, wipes out 185,000 of them. Done. Now, all we got to do is figure out what to do with all the blood and all the bodies because God took care of the battle. If God be for you, who can be against you? And this makes all the difference in the world. No matter what challenges are before you, God is with you. Here's what I want you to see. There are a few things about Hezekiah's life that brought blessing to him and to the entire southern kingdom. And so I said to myself, well, this is rather boring. What is it about this that I can learn something from in 2021 entering into Thanksgiving week where many of you are gonna be sitting across the table from Uncle Eddie and you don't like Uncle Eddie very much and you wouldn't like to know what can I get today that's gonna help me maybe on Thursday? What's gonna help me uh, live a blessed life? What was it that brought blessing and caused God to spare the southern kingdom of Israel? What was it? Well, I'm going to tell you. Two things. Number one. Everybody say number one. Say it so they can hear you on the internet. Number one. Hezekiah had a commitment to purity. To purity. And when we talk about purity, oftentimes we're thinking about a true love waits rally where we have a bunch of 14 and 15-year-olds come together and we're like, don't have sex until you get married. Yes. That's an element of purity. But that's not... That's not all purity is about. Purity marked the reign of King Hezekiah. His life, I mean, it marked it for him. Unlike the kings before him, he took some valiant, courageous steps as a 25-year-old young man. He did some things emphasize purity. Page 220, go back a few pages. Let's take a look at what he did. And the bottom of that page, um, it says, he was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, a daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father, that means his lineage, his great-great-great-grandfather David had done. Look what he did. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. And sometimes we read that stuff and go, well, that just sounds crazy. What are those things? I'm so it doesn't really matter what those things are. They're, they're, they're evil, wicked, uh, graven images. So we could say he, he, um, he removed Netflix. Well, we could go on, and you can fill in the blank. But, but he decided he's gonna live this life of, of purity. He makes some changes and one of the changes he made was for a long time, decades, the doors of the church had been sealed and barred closed. And he opens up the doors to the church again and said this is where people should come and worship God. Hmm. Purity is a word that we talk a lot about and yet it seems to be a, uh, we don't talk a lot about it, but yet it seems to be a quality that, that God uh, gives his blessing toward. It invites God's blessing into your life. Many of us want to be blessed by God, but we don't want to walk in purity. Part of the challenge for me personally, and I think for many of us in this room, is our standard of purity has been infected by culture. We don't realize that our temple has been defiled because it's always been there. We've grown up with these offensive things around us. We don't recognize they can be improved upon. The problem is we compare, I want you to dial in for a second, so I'll take a dramatic pause. We compare our level of purity to our cultural surrounding rather than to the holiness of God. And so... We've got to go back to God as our standard of purity and figure out what needs to be removed from our heart and what needs to be cleansed in our soul. I got an email not too long ago, and it detailed some things um, of the FDA. The FDA is the Food and Drug Administration in the United States of America, and I found some of these things to be interesting. I want to talk to you about it for a second. If you've never had this, this is a... This is amazing stuff. It's called apple butter. Anybody ever had apple butter before? It tastes so good. Put some of that on crackers. (laughs) Make you want to slap your grandma. It's so good. Um, um, And and so I I like this stuff. And so as I was reading about it, I thought, well, that's interesting. The Food and Drug Administration in the United States of America in 2021 says that as long as the mold count in this jar is less than 12%, it's good to go. <laughs> you're gonna hate me for this, but I think it's fun. Um, if, if the content of this jar averages four or less rodent hairs per 100 grams, it's good. Now you get five or more rodent hairs, you're in trouble, mister, right? If if it averages five or more insects per 100 grams, the FDA is going to be on your case, mister. But if it's less than five insects per 100 grams in this beautiful jar of apple butter... Then it's a uh, then it's a uh, then it's good to go. <laughs> Aren't you having fun in church today? We're not even done yet. I got a whole grocery bag here for you. This is going to. How about this coffee? Coffee beans. Oh, I know you don't want to know, do you? Oh, but I've got to tell you. Some of you are like hitting mute right now online. God, I just think. <laughs> i'm just kidding it 's not mu as, as long as as long as this bag doesn't have more than ten uh, in, percent infested by insects it's okay okay as long as it's ten percent so as long as like that much or less is, it doesn't isn't in, infested by insects, then it's perfectly fine by the Food and Drug Administration. This is considered to be pure oh as long as it doesn't have <laughs> listen if it do, if, if, if there isn't uh, as long as there's not more than one live insect in your coffee beans per two containers, it's cool, right? How many of you wanna get, the, you want to get the, the good one, not the bad one, right, on the shelves? You to be like, is there something in there? No, it's fine, but and, anyway, Food and Drug Administration says it's pure, it's pure. How about this? Many of you are going to have some mushrooms this year. Uh, for, for, I like mushrooms. I like mushrooms on the salad. I like mushrooms cooked up. I like, I, I enjoy mushrooms. They come in those styrofoam things, or I suppose they come in the big things that you cut them. But they, when you buy them in the store, the Food and Drug Administration says, is if there's not, there has to be an average of less than 20 maggots per 15 grams of dried mushrooms, and it's just fine. I know. You're all like, I love you, Troy. Let's move. Let's go on one one more. These are some of my favorite things. Crisp fried onions. You all know what I'm talking about? You make that green bean casserole and you sprinkle these. Some of y'all do a disservice to the green bean casserole because you literally just sprinkle a few and you're like, that's good. It's not a decoration. It's a part of the food, man. Put them on there. You're just going to put a half a can back in the thing and throw it away in six months. Put them all on there, baby. Enjoy them all. But let me tell you about your crispy fried onions. Um, as long as there's, not, there's less than 13 insects per 100 grams in the fried onions, it can go out. But if there's more... Dear Lord, it would be horrible for you. Should we talk hot dogs? Okay, I won't talk hot dogs. But here's my point. Here's my point. We would like to think that our standard of purity is high for the food that we eat. The food that we've come to accept as, as okay, and I'm not telling you be fearful. I'm not trying to do that, but we're still, I'm still going to eat my hot dogs. I'm still going to drink my coffee. I'm going to enjoy my apple butter. I'm going to have some mushrooms, and baby, these are all going on there on Thursday. So it's not about I'm not going to eat it anymore. We're going to enjoy our food, but I wonder if maybe the standard of purity in our lives needs to be re-examined. Maybe we're allowing a few maggots to come in. Maybe we're allowing some insects, some rodent hairs inside our soul. And it's not acceptable. Ephesians talks about being washed by the water of the word. It brings cleansing. Where we allow the word of God to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in fact first john 1 verses 8 9 if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us there it is purify us from all unrighteousness what does that mean If you take what's in your heart in the darkness of your heart and you bring it out into the light, God can handle it. God can deal with it. Even if what you have in your heart is hatred toward the God who loves you. Bring it out. You're not the first guy. You're not the first gal to be ticked off at God. Share it with him. Get it out of the darkness. Bring it out into the light. When we do that, God can purify us from all unrighteousness because he is faithful and he is just. So according to the New Testament, we don't purify ourselves. It's not rituals that we go through. Guys, with great respect to so many other faiths that are out there, I would never want to be insulting to human beings, but it is my job to tell you the truth there is no priest there is no shaman there is no leader of any religious sect out there that can grant you forgiveness of your sins only god through jesus christ alone can give you forgiveness and it is your responsibility to come clean before god it's healthy for you to confess your sins one to another but it is not required it is required that you take your sins before god and say i have failed you i have I have sinned before you. And in that nanosecond, God says, I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. Hmm. When we take what was in the darkness and we bring it out into the light, when we're willing to do that, God will bless us. But let me tell you this. If you continue to harbor the sin in your life that you know is there, do not ask God to bless you and expect him to do that, you would be causing God to be a hypocrite. God's blessing rests not upon perfect people, not at all, but upon honest people, forgiven people, redeemed people. It might be an area of pride, it might be an area of selfishness in your life, it might be an attitude. You gotta get over your attitude. Maybe it's an area, an activity that you're participating in or habit that you formed. Maybe it's maybe it's the music you listen to. Maybe it's the shows you're watching on your DVR. Maybe it's the magazine subscription that needs to be canceled or a relationship that needs to be made right or an addiction that you need to ask for help for. Bring it out of the darkness and into the light. Maybe it's that secret sh- sin in your life needs to be shared with a brother or sister in Christ. What is it that's between you and God that needs to be addressed? It's purity, and it's what many people are missing in order to receive the blessings of God. And number two, as I wrap this up, Hezekiah had a commitment to prayer. When the Assyrian army was was knocking at the door of Hezekiah's, Hezekiah's kingdom, What did Hezekiah and Isaiah, one of these prophets, do? I told you a moment ago. They went into the temple and they got down on their face before God and they began to pray in desperation. And here's what I know. As your, as your under-shepherd, as, as one of your pastors, but your lead pastor here at the New Life family of churches, until we realize our desperation and dependence upon God, we will never be the praying church that we're destined to be. When we truly realize how desperate we are, even when you're on the mountaintop, that's when praying becomes as natural as, I was breathing. uh, Baptism, water baptism, a very special time. We have a tank and heat it for most people and one of the things we do before water baptism is we always have an orientation meeting, right? One of those, it's a few minutes that we get together no matter if you're baptized out in the lake at River Islands or in the tank in Modesto or the tank here, um, or however it's gonna work. I mean, I, I've got plans to maybe, you know, the fountains outside the AMC or the, I think we should go just baptize right out there. better to ask forgiveness than it is permission. You know what I'm talking about, but we'll just move along anyway. So, um, But wherever we baptize, what we like to do is a few minutes of an orientation before. It's not like a class you have to pass the test. You just, we wanna make sure people Understand water baptism, so one time in a water baptism orientation class, uh, a, a pastor had shared this. This didn't happen to be, but one time in the water baptism orientation class, sometimes you have people who were baptized that come into that that, that class, and you have them kind of testify a little bit before the people, the candidates that are going to get baptized. And so the water baptism meeting was going, as I understand, and um, he had a few of the people that were baptized share their experience. And one person says, man, when I came out of the water, I was just crying. I just felt the spirit of God so rich and real in my life, and it was a breakthrough moment. Another person said, when I came out of the water, man, I was shouting. I was so excited about what God had done for me in my life. Another person said, "Man, I came up speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. It was a powerful moment for me, baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. So one of the candidates that was sitting in this class thought about this and, and afterwards went up to the pastor. Pastor, if you have any questions, personal questions, come and ask me afterwards. And so, and so this, this brother made his way to the pastor and said, Pastor, I want, I want an experience. I want an experience like this that I'll remember forever. The pastor said, well, just pray about it. He said, no, I I really want an experience. Brother, just pray about it. So he we went and sat in the pews or the chairs and prayed and the time came for water baptism. They called that candidate in there and he stepped into the tank and the pastor interviewed him in the microphone and said, have a seat, let's baptize you. And the pastor said, I baptize you. He said all of his preamble stuff and he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he lowered him into the water and the expectation is to bring him right back out again, but he held him under the water. He held the back of his shirt He held onto his chest. And the guy that's under the water thought, well, this is interesting for just a slight second. And then he started kind of panicking. And the pastor was getting resistance. The guy was trying to set up. But the pastor was pushing even more down, pushing even more down, holding and pushing the guy down. Now you see the water splashing because his hands are coming up. His feet are starting to kick a little bit. And the pastor is even more intensely, even with his face, looking at the guy and holding him under the water. Now the people in the crowd are starting to lean forward elders are starting to get nervous what's going on here and after a few more seconds the pastor finally brought the the guy out of the water and the whole crowd was gasping along with him what the heck is going on in the church today And the pastor after he calmed down and the adrenaline kind of ceased he said brother what did you just feel when you were under the water he said I felt desperate to breathe. To which the pastor told him, your life has to be just as desperate for Jesus Christ. Now you've had an experience. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. How?" thirsty are you for Jesus? How desperate are you for the next breath to breathe? That's the level of desperation that we need to have for our Savior. And Hezekiah prayed with great faith desperation for God. That is not a one-time thing. I am desperate for you, God. I am 100% dependent upon you. These are the two things that I am calling our church to this Thanksgiving season, purity and prayer. So God spares the southern kingdom, hallelujah, but it doesn't last, it doesn't last. Because when Hezekiah dies, his son Manasseh takes over. And here we go again. He doesn't follow in the ways of his father. He doesn't serve God, he turns his back on God. And God cannot ignore sin any longer. So during Manasseh's rule, God allows the southern kingdom of Israel to be destroyed. And so now we have all of Israel has been destroyed, the very nation God invented, God created, to draw his children back to him again. And you get in this place in the story where you're just kind of like, nothing's working. We tried the law, didn't work. We tried the judges, people wouldn't listen. We tried the kings, but they were too proud and too selfish and too arrogant. We tried the prophets, but once again, the people wouldn't listen. There is no hope. That's kind of what we read. And it is no coincidence whatsoever that we get to this next book that we've just started reading called Isaiah. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus comes, Isaiah prophesies and tells us this is where our hope lies. Did you know that Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel in the Bible? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Isaiah is sometimes referred to the fifth gospel because it's all about Jesus. I had an all team meeting this week, our staff, Almost everybody that could, that could be, everybody that could be there was there. And I talked to them about how we're going through the Bible chronologically. Just, you know what, um, I'm getting kind of tired of the Old Testament. And I asked them, and of course I'm looking at Bible scholars and people that are studying God's word to be ministry. And people, I think they thought I was setting them up. I'm like, how, are you all getting tired of the Old Testament? No, I'm not getting tired of the Old Testament. Well, it wasn't a set up question. It's just kind of the truth. I'm getting tired of the Old Testament. And and here's what I would say to that. That's the point of the Old Testament. You just get tired of it. It doesn't work. It's all filtering. It's all funneling. It's all pointed to Jesus. He is our only hope. He is the only one who can save. Let me pray for you. God, I wanna thank you for your grace. I wanna thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I ask that we would keep our focus upon you. Help us to take our eyes off of the arm of flesh that is all around us and coming against us and help us to put our confidence, our hope and our trust in you and in you alone. And so Lord, I pray that in these next couple of minutes that God, you would purify us that we would humble ourselves before you. Mighty God, we ask for your forgiveness and we pray for your help. And we ask that you would save us from ourselves. Save us from the sin-filled world. Save us from the destruction that seems to be nigh upon us. Help us, God, today. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah when he spoke up and, 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 and the, uh, the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when Isaiah sees God lifted up, he says to himself, woe to me because I am a man of unclean lips among people of unclean lips. Mighty God, we need to be set free. We need to be desperate and dependent upon you every day of our lives. We need your help. God the story that we're living the path that we're on for many of us is not going the right way for areas of our lives they need to be changed we need the trajectory of everything to be realigned God four months from now at Easter time mighty God we don't want to look back and say I've regressed I've gone back I'm no better than I was before but God I want my life to be transformed renewed by the glory of God we need your help today God and with all Heads bowed and all eyes closed. If that's you and you're like, I want to be more dependent upon God, I want to be more desperate for God, there are areas of my life that I want to confess to Him right now that I have taken the wheel, that I have decided I will be in charge, I am in control, and I'm asking myself the question, How's that working out for me? And it's not working out so good. And so today, God, I choose. To be desperate for you, dependent upon you, and I will see the 185,000 evil forces coming against me fall, not at my hand, but at your hand. Mighty God, if that's you today, and you say, I want to be more dependent upon God than ever before, I want my life to be altered, my path to be shifted, I want to be changed, then I'm gonna to count to three, and when I get to three, I don't care whether you're part of this church or your guest today, I don't care if you've been coming for a week or ten years, if you want to say yes to God today that Lord I need my life to be changed in certain areas in certain ways I've got this challenge this issue I've got this problem and God I choose to be dependent upon you then when I get to three I want you to stand not raise your hand but stand to your feet trusting that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it one two three stand to your feet it doesn't matter who you are no matter how young you are how old you are doesn't matter if you've been saved a long time or not at all God we put our our trust and hope and dependence in you and in you alone you are mighty to save would you just lift your hands up to God right now Lord I surrender I surrender to you God Lord I give it all I don't want to hold anything back Lord I want to be dependent upon you and as desperate as that young man and that baptism take was for air God may I be desperate for you in this area of my life help me Jesus help me Lord just say that help help god help god i need your help god help me god help me god help me mighty god we give you praise we give you thanks and we give you glory in the mighty awesome holy anointed name of jesus christ and if you agree say amen and amen come on and amen and amen mighty god to god be the glory to god be the glory to god be the glory pastor trinity thank you for giving me the opportunity to close this gathering today and this this a uh, pre-thanksgiving gathering may the lord bless you may he keep you May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest, and may he give you peace. We love you, love you, love you. Happy Thanksgiving. You are dismissed, amen.